0: Hey everybody, for those of you who are new to Alice Drive, my name is Clay Smith and I'm the lead pastor. I'm recovering from knee surgery. But today, our student pastor, Matt Sprinkle, he's gonna help us launch a new series called Different Than Me. In this world, we have to deal with a lot of people who have different beliefs, different values. How do we do that? The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans gives us a guide. I know you'll enjoy what Matt has to share from God's word today. Good morning! It's, it's good to be here this morning. And good morning to those of us joining online, Bishopville and Picala. Uh We are so glad that you're here with us this morning. But before we jump into the scripture, which we're going to be in Romans chapter 14 today. We're looking at the first four verses. So if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles there, you can go ahead and do that. Uh, but I want to show you a few pictures here. Um uh, got a little slide going. So these pictures are from February 3rd, 1970. Dean Custer B. Reynolds, uh, scheduled to speak in chapel, felt led to invite persons to give personal testimony instead. Many on campus had been praying for spiritual renewal and were now in an expectant mood. Soon, there was a large group waiting in line to speak. The chapel was filled with rejoicing people. Classes were canceled for a week during the 144 hours of Unbroken Revival But even after classes resumed on February 10th, Hughes Auditorium at Asbury College was left open for prayer and testimony. Some 2,000 witness teams went out from Wilmore, Kentucky to churches in at least 130 college campuses around this nation. This is the Asbury revival of 1970. This past week and a half we also got to witness something else pretty amazing happen. Check out this video clip from this past week and a half. the last week and a half people have watched social media with anticipation to see if this revival was still going on people watched and looked at what was happening at in Wilmore Kentucky and they wanted to even make travel plans to go there and be a part of it some other colleges in this nation saw what was happening in Wilmore Kentucky and decided hey we want to see this happen even on our own college campus and some students took initiative to drive uh, that revival kind of spirit even on their campuses as well. People from all over wanted to participate and come from everywhere to these places to do one thing. Worship. Worship the God who saves. And this is the Asbury revival that's been happening this past week, but I I bet for some of us it makes us pause and ask this question at least somewhere in all of this. Why would they want to do this? Why would they want to be a part of what's going on at these different locations? Why do they want to participate in this? And the only thing that I can think of as to a reason as to why people would want to be a part of something like this is because these young men and women and all of those who are traveling to those locations, they just simply want a glimpse of what heaven is going to look like. God's people coming together, worshiping him. No secondary denominational divides, no politics, no concerns over religious traditions, just worship. So our, desire, or our series for the next few weeks is called Different Than Me. We're going to be looking at how we can come alongside people who are different than us. And we really believe that Paul establishes a good baseline for us to go off of in Romans chapter 14. But we have to really understand, too, what he says right before that in Romans 13, verse 10. Paul says this, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Paul's not saying anything new there, right? That's exactly what Jesus says. He said you should love God and love your neighbor. This is the fulfillment of all of the law and the prophets. So we have to ask ourselves, when we read this passage, who is our neighbor that Paul is referring to? So we're going to read verses 1 through 4 together, and then we're going to go back and kind of break it down together as well. So let's jump in. Romans 14, verses 1 through 4. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Hang in there with me, vegetarians. It's not a slam on you, I promise. Verse 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. There's some important things for us to note here when we start this passage, when we we jump in. So who is your neighbor? Who is the neighbor here in this passage? Well, this would be fellow Christians, right? You have those who are weak in Faith and those who are strong in faith. And what we need to recognize is that both of these groups of people, in all that they are doing, it is in faith. So they are doing to their ability to honor and glorify God in the things that they are doing. But you have two different groups here in Rome. The Christians were split in half between Gentiles and the Jews. The Gentiles, they saw that they had freedom in Jesus, and they didn't have to follow this thing called the Mosaic Law, which established certain things that they could or could not eat. But then you had the Jewish Christians who from birth were taught the Mosaic Law about things that they could or could not eat. And so what does Paul say to these two groups of people from two different backgrounds? What does he say in verse 1? Welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions that's it right to these roman christians that he's writing to he says move past your different backgrounds and accept and love one another walk alongside of each other as you journey towards christ i love what this guy his name is wyatt graham he said this in an article that i read this past week he said we must distinguish between opinions and the kingdom of god even with the asbury revival We have seen many, 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 many different opinions. I think that's a great example to see this quote played out. We must distinguish between opinions and the kingdom of God. But disunity within God's people is not a new thing. This is something that we see as we read scripture. If you go in the Old Testament, you see civil wars break out all throughout all of the Old Testament, right? You see family disputes all the way through all of the Old Testament. And then when you cross over into the New Testament, you got this church in Corinth that Paul writes to. And he says, hey, you are following people. And you are losing sight of the God who gave growth to begin with. And then he writes some other letters to churches in Galatia, Ephesus, Colossae, Philippi, and he's reminding them of the unity that they are supposed to have in Jesus. But instead, some of them in these churches are devouring one another. And when I list these things off, these things that we see in Scripture, right, none of that happens in today's church. You chuckle because you know the opposite is true. Right? Surely we've never seen splits in a church over secondary and non-essential issues, you know, like the color of the carpet or whether we should sit in pews or chairs or that's just not my kind of worship. Surely in churches today we don't focus on human leadership as the reason is why we go. Surely today in the church we don't see Christians devouring one another and attacking one another. I think we see this this disunity among us even in today's church. And the problem with this, the problem with this happening in the, the church is that people are watching. Our future generations are watching. Our children are watching. And when they see this, when they see this in the church, this is not a glimpse of what heaven is going to look like. In 2017, LifeWay surveyed young adults aged between 18 and 22 who attended church regularly. They made sure that for these young adults that attended church regularly, they attended for at least a year during high school. The firm found that 7 out of 10 of these young adults, 7 out of 10, stopped attending church regularly. 7 out of 10. Why? Why? Scott McConnell, the executive over this research, he said this. He said, one of the top answers was that church members seem to be judgmental or hypocritical. I think that churches, we do a good job at times in disagreeing over important gospel-centered issues. But I think that we are really good at times disagreeing over things that are secondary and non-essential to the gospel. I think it's wise for us as Christians today when it comes to these secondary issues outside of the center of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that we should love beyond our secondary and third level differences. But how do we do this? How do we move past our opinions on these different things? A professor in college, he ingrained one thing in all of us. You couldn't graduate North Greenville with a bachelor in youth ministry without knowing this thing. I'm pretty sure if you left his class and couldn't say this thing, he would fail me. Because it was that thing that he always said every class, right? He said, at the end of the day, you must always remember the MIT, the most important thing. And he said, the most important thing for you always must be your relationship with God. God, I cannot pastor people if I am not focused on my own relationship with God. If, if studying God's word and preparing to speak in front of people does not break me, how in the world can I expect it to affect anyone that is listening? It's the same way for us, right? How can we come alongside of other people who we see the deeper needs in their lives? How can we help them if we are not focusing on what's most important, which is our relationship with God? See, when we're not focused on the most important thing, this is what we tend to do. We tend to become selfish and prideful. And we worry more about being right than anything else. And in the end, we don't help our relationship with God, and we don't help anyone strengthen their relationship with God. So how do we do this? How do we welcome people in of different backgrounds? Well, Paul helps us to understand a little bit more application in verses three and four. He says this, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains Pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So, Paul's question for the weak and the strong Christians that are casting judgment and devouring one another, his question for them is this. To whom do you belong? Who purchased both of you at such a great cost? The two problems with these Christians in this church is this. You have the weak Christians that think that they're greater than the strong Christians because they just follow the rules. They feel like that's what makes them closer to God is having more knowledge about God and who he is. And then on the other side of that, you have the strong Christians that think that they're greater than the weak Christians because they just, they got a good grasp on the basics, basics. They have a basic knowledge of who God is and that's their primary focus. And so they're tearing one another apart saying, no, you're not where I am. You need to be where, where I am. I love what Matthew Henry reminds us. When tempted to despise and judge fellow Christians, Matthew Henry suggests asking this question. Has not God owned them? And if he has, dare I disown them? If they are gods, then who am I to disown that they are gods? How does it help either one of us in this situation? We've seen this kind of thing where Paul talks about in verse 4. He says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? We see this in our own lives, right? Where are my parents at? All of my parents in the room. Go ahead, show your hands. Where are you at? Yep, 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 yep. All right, you've seen this, and this is going to be fun in just a second. If you're not a parent, you'll be able to relate because you've been able to sit back and eat popcorn and watch. Um, For my parents in the room, have you ever had a moment where someone else, like another parent tried to parent your child. How'd that go? <laughs> now, some of you, you're like, oh, they deserved it. <laughs> okay. For the most part, how does that go? Go to watch, go watch a little league softball game. You get a first hand experience. Speaking of athletics, right, how many of you have ever seen a coach try to coach a kid on another coach's team? How does that turn out? Not good. And the frustrating thing in both of these scenarios is that one thinks that they know better, but in all reality, the coach should know what's best for his players and the parents should know what exactly their child needs. But see, the truth for the other parent and the other coach is this. The true parent and the true coach know, or both of them, want what's best for the child or for the athlete. So what's Paul trying to get us to see here is that we each come from different backgrounds. We have a relationship with God, but each and every single one of us are on a different part of that journey with God. Some of us may be further along. Some of them may have just began began that relationship with God, and what's not going to be helpful is somebody coming in and be like, you're not where I am. That's what Paul would say is a stumbling block. See, if we belong to God, then we realize truly and deeply that only he knows what's best for us. So those casting judgment and contempt on their fellow Christians, I really believe that this is what Paul is trying to get them and us to see is this. Stop trying to do what only God can do. I love what one theologian said. He said this. The ampler the grace which they had received, these Christians in Rome, the ampler the grace which they had received from the Lord, the more bound they were to help their neighbor. See, the grace in which we receive from God when we first came to know him, right? Because life changes is difficult. I don't know anyone who came to follow Jesus and then, like, they get a good night's rest, they wake up the next morning and be like, ha, I'm the closest thing to Jesus. I don't know that that's ever happened before. If you know someone that that's happened to, I would like to talk to them. <laughs> Well, last I checked there's this thing called sanctification Is why we have the Holy Spirit Jesus is like hey I'm going to go up and be with God but I'm going to leave a helper it's the Holy Spirit it's going to help you be more like me it's a process it doesn't just happen overnight but the grace in which we received from God when we first came to know him is it overflowing in our relationships with people who are in a different place with God Is that same grace pouring out. And listen, I would like to say that I can give myself a pass on this, but I know for sure there have been times where I may have said or I will say one of these things, right? For instance, thank you, God, that I know better than to do what they did. God, why can't they just see what I see? If they saw what I saw, they would be closer to you. God, they say that they love you, but they sure aren't acting like it. I would even go as far as saying they're not a Christian. Ow. Sometimes I could even find myself saying, God, why is it that I can't have the same kind of confidence when it comes to trusting you in certain things like this person over here? Scripture constantly reminds us right, His ways are not our ways, His thoughts are not our thoughts. We are all in a different part of our journey. He knows exactly what we need and when we need it. He knows what lesson we need to learn ahead of the time that we need to learn it. He's preparing you for that very moment even now. He might be letting you go through some stuff before you finally see what it is that he's trying to show you. But see, the truth is, is that just like you, I am a work in progress. See, I can look back to where he was patient with me when it came to loving him. I can look and see how he has caused me to love him even more in certain areas. But does this love for him cause me to be patient and helpful to those who aren't there yet? And really what it boils down to is I think we as Christians, we have a false sense of balance when it comes to our response to the gospel. If we really believe this good news that Jesus came and lived the perfect life that we couldn't live, died in our place, defeating our punishment for our sins, even though we didn't deserve it, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, raising from the dead, conquering our penalty. Jesus says simply this, you should love God. And love others. So, on both sides, right, you have love God and you have love others, and we as Christians we have this false sense of balance because we would like to think that we can do this. I'm loving God and loving others well. But if you really start to examine your life, how's that scale working out? Eh, some days I tend to do this, some days I tend to do that, right? The moments we begin to love God really well feel like we're close to him we forget about all the other people around us and we have all this knowledge but we're not putting it to practice at all right then at other moments we begin to love other people well but then we don't really lean into loving God so we love people really well but then all of a sudden we lose sight of the truths that he stands on and we need to be standing on with him to love people well See, in both of these moments, when the, the scale tips really far one way or the other, what begins to win is the very thing that Jesus died for, and it's the, our pride. And it's our sin. It's our flesh. And in both of those moments where the scale tips too far to one side or the other, we lose sight of the most important thing. And that's our relationship with God. If you want to check your scale, go into a, go into a life group. Find a group of people that are going to come into your life and be a part and you hold each other accountable in that way. Hey, help me see where I may be missing it, where my scales tipped or off balance. Maybe ask someone close to you, hey, this, look at this last week. You've been around me a lot this week. How do you think I've done it loving God and loving others? What do you think? Ask God. God, how have I done at this showing me where I need to change? So what do we need to do? I think really that we need to focus back on the most important thing. And the way that we focus back is with some of these questions that I have for you today. The first one is this. Do I have a relationship with God? Maybe there is somebody in here. You need to simply ask yourself, do I want a relationship with God? Because you've heard about this grace, this mercy, this kindness, this love that's only found in Christ. Christ. Do you want that? Because those of us that are Christians that do believe what God's word says, we know that God knows us and he knows what's best for our lives. The second way that we can check if if we're focused on the most important thing is this. Ask yourself, where is my current relationship with God? Where is my current relationship with God? Ask someone who's going to be honest with you. Hey, if I had to ask you where you thought my current relationship with God is, what would you say? people closest to you, what would they say? The third question that we can do to ask ourselves to see if we're focused on the most important thing is simply this. Does my relationship with God benefit other believers and their relationship with God? Does it help people in their walk or is my pride hindering someone else's walk? I can think of no better way than to see the church kind of put what Paul is saying to practice than joining each other in the Lord's Supper. I can think of the Lord's Supper is a beautiful reminder where we reflect on what it is that God has done for us in Christ. We're not focused on the secondary non-essential issues. No, we're coming together as one body, worshiping the God who saves, reflecting on what it is that Christ has done for us in that in this moment, is what unifies us, not anything else. So if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and and grab this cup. If you didn't get one on your way in, just raise your hand. Uh, A deacon can get one to you. If you're joining us at home, find some crackers and some juice, and we would be able to, to do this together. But the Lord's Supper was instituted by Jesus as a way for us to remember who he is and what he has done for us. So we invite anyone who is a follower of Jesus to be a part of this Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Lord, we have sinned against you in our thoughts, our words, our actions. We confess the sin and repent of it. And you have told us That if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Forgive us by your amazing grace. Amen. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper on his last night with the disciples. He knew they and we would need a reminder, a reminder of the gospel that Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sins. And he rose from the dead, proving victory over sin and death. So let's share in this reminder. Go ahead and open the bread. In 1 Corinthians 11:23 it says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Take and eat. You can open the cup. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. Take and drink. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us pray. God, we thank you so much for this day. I thank you that we can come together as one body unified by your spirit and reflect on the the great news that is only found in Christ. I pray today that maybe there is one who really needed to truly ask, do I have a relationship with God? Do I even want that? God, that you will just do what you do best and that you will bring them into an understanding of who you are and your goodness and your grace. God, maybe there is somebody you've placed on our minds this week who you know what, they are our fellow brother or sister in Christ, but in all reality, we've, we've, we've held some judgment and contempt. So maybe we need to reach out. Maybe we just need to give it to you finally. God, we thank you for the spirit that unifies us. God, we thank you for what Christ has done for our lives and the hope that we have in him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.